Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Associate Pastor Reverend Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, please help us to hear your word, open our hearts to receive it, and send your Holy Spirit so that we may incorporate it into our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're reading from Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land. Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zorah. The Lord said to him, this is the land I have sworn to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross over. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel the like of Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all of the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Now, as we're heading into our sermon this morning, I would like to bring your attention that we will be providing a Thanksgiving devotional to you all if that interests you. You can sign up for the Thanksgiving devotional either online. You can come into the church building during the week and pick it up. And we encourage you to prayerfully consider what the devotion has to say. Uh, talk about it with your families. Talk about it in your uh, online uh, small groups. Consider the words of scripture as reflected in this devotion as God speaking to you in a period of thanksgiving, of giving thanks to God for all that God has done even in the midst of our trials and tribulations of the day. A good question to ask, though, when we think about the Thanksgiving season, the season of November heading into Christmas, is how can we be thankful when everything seems so rotten? How can we give thanks 
when things don't go our way? How can we give thanks when things end in a manner we didn't expect? So today's passage is about Moses, in particular, the death of Moses. Now, Moses dies before crossing over Jordan. Moses' death scene at the close of Deuteronomy is one of the most stark yet understated scenes in all of Scripture. Israel's leader for decades, the one who led his people out of enslavement in Egypt, the one who suffered and interceded on their behalf, will not make it to the land that God had promised Israel. Now, this isn't for lack of trying on Moses' part. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 25, Moses pleads with God to allow him entrance into the land. But God's refusal is firm and consistent. Moses will not be allowed Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, various reasons have been given as to why Moses would not be allowed into the land, ranging from his bearing the punishment for Israel's sins in chapter 4, verses 21, to Moses' own disobedience referenced in chapter 32. But notice here in chapter 34, the passage we're reading today, we get a straightforward depiction of Moses' death with no reference to any of these former reasons. Nor do we hear any more pleading from Moses on why to be allowed into the promised land. The one who is recognized as the man of God and the servant of the Lord, the one whose faithfulness, the text says, whose faithfulness outshines any other in Israel, does not get to set foot in or enjoy the land that God has promised God's people. Our passage begins with the description of Moses' ascent up Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. This is a film of God's command in Deuteronomy 3.27. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look around you to the west, to the north, to the south and to the east. Look well, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. Just as Moses' role as Israel's leader began with an encounter with God on a mountaintop, so now Moses' tenure as leader and his very life both end with another mountaintop encounter with God. At the top of Mount Nebo, God showed him the whole land. Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, all the land of Judah. Although the writer of Deuteronomy reports Moses' age as 120, the text gives no indication that Moses dies of old age. In fact, it asserts that his sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs notes here that Moses never stopped learning, growing, teaching, leading. In the book of Deuteronomy, delivered at the very end of his life, he rose to an eloquence, a vision, a passion that exceeded anything he had said before. This 
was a man who never gave up the fight. And that was reflected in his eyes. In a final act of faithfulness, Moses dies because that is what God commanded him to do. And then God buries his friend, Moses. And the beat goes on. Moses ended his life not in bitterness at his failure to cross over into the promised land, but in the blessed assurance that comes with friendship with God. Moses was a friend of God. He knew God face to face, this passage tells us. And there was no one else who has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in all the sight of Israel. These are the closing words of the book of Deuteronomy. Yet Deuteronomy also makes a promise about what will come after Moses. Deuteronomy 18.15 reads, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Who is this one who is greater than Moses? And when we recognize him for who he is, will we listen to him? It is Jesus who not only knew God face to face, but was himself the very face of God. Moses ended well, and it was to the benefit of his people. Ending well allows us to transition into what comes next well. We can end well, say goodbye to all that has come before, say goodbye to all that, if we hold on to the promise that the end is not the end for us or for our church. The beloved community of Christ presses on into the future with the confidence of saved sinners, the confidence of the redeemed who place their trust in the one greater than Moses, Messiah Jesus, who calls us his friends. The linkage between a face-to-face -face relationship with God and the metaphor of friendship with God captured one of the great minds of the church, a gentleman by the name of Gregory of Nyssa, who lived in what is modern-day Turkey today. Gregory found in Moses a spiritual model of what it means to live faithfully in response to God's commands. This is true perfection, Gregory wrote, not to avoid a wicked life, because like slaves we fear punishment, nor do we do good because we hope for rewards, as if cashing in on the virtuous life by some business-like and contractual arrangement. On the contrary, disregarding all those things for which we hope and which have been reserved by promise, we regard falling from God's friendship as the only thing dreadful, and we consider becoming God's friend the only thing worthy of honor and desire. Now we as a world, as a country, as a church, we're in a moment of transition. None, I believe, can deny that. What the future holds, I, I don't know. Not for our nation, not for the many communities which we represent, not for our beloved church. 
But we can say that we end that which has come before well. At least that's what we can hope for. At least that's what we will stride for. We can say that we are grateful for all that has come our way in the past as we acknowledge and adapt to our present and strike out towards the future, strike out together towards whatever promised lands God has in store for us. It's exciting to step into the unknown. It was exciting for the children of Israel to cross on over Jordan into the promised land. Now, they didn't have their Moses, no. They mourned him and all that came before. But when the time for mourning came to an end, they put away their sackcloth and ashes and they got ready for the task ahead. They never forgot Moses. And they always held on to the memory of how God through Moses had brought them out of the death of slavery in Egypt onto the life-giving banks of the Jordan. They never forget how God had brought them from death to life through the agency of Moses. Now we can do the same as Christians. The way we have done church for decades is not happening right now. No, it's, it's not. And when things do resume, when we get back to in-person worship again, will the way we do church remain the same? I don't know. How could it after all we've been through in the year of our Lord 2020? Yet we remember that which came before. We hold on to our Moses, who still has a thing or two to impart us. As Rabbi Sachs observes, the life and death of Moses teaches us something. Never compromise your ideals. Never give in to defeat or despair. Never stop journeying merely because the way is long and hard. It always is. Moses' eyes were undimmed. He did not lose the vision that made him as a young man a fighter for justice. He did not become a cynic. He did not become embittered or sad, though he had sufficient reason to be. He knew there were things he would not live to achieve. So he taught the next generation to achieve them. The result was that his natural energy was unabated. His body was old, but his body, mind, and soul stayed young. Moses, mortal, achieved immortality. And so by following in his footsteps, can we? The good we do lives on. The blessings we bring into the lives of others will never die. And so the book of Deuteronomy ends. It concludes with grand words of praise for Moses' intimate relationship with God and for his unsurpassed role as God's prophet. As one commentary I read put it, even in Moses' broken, incomplete, limited, incomplete, limited human condition, 
Moses served as a vehicle for God's redemptive, saving action in the world. And this, for some reason, reminds me of America. Martin Luther King Jr. has rightfully been called, in my opinion, an American Moses. On April 3rd, 1968, King decided at the last minute to give a speech before striking sanitation workers down in Memphis, Tennessee, whose campaign for a living wage King considered just. His speech, given the evening of April 3rd, closed with these words. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The next day, April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot while standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, killed by a white man named James Earl Ray, who hated King and all he stood for. Yet the legacy remains. Andrew Young, one of King's closest friends and advisors, said these words about continuing the civil rights crisis without Martin Luther King Jr. But we never had to face the world without him, Young said. His spirit has been more powerful in death as it was in life. And I suspect that's the way it was with Moses, too. When you come to the end of a God-ordained time, something has to take over. King, like Moses, was human. But humanity in the hands of God. And that's what made the difference. That he put himself in God's hands. And that's what Moses did. One of the things that strengthened Martin's leadership is that he realized he didn't have to be perfect. God has always used frail human beings. And God was using him. A dream delayed is not a dream deferred. Moses may make it into the Moses may not make it into the promised land, but the good Moses has done has echoed throughout eternity. We, those who come after, pick up the mantle and continue the cause. We keep singing. We keep praying. We keep marching. We keep voting. And we follow the one who is greater than Moses himself, King Jesus, who commands us to pick up our cross and follow after him. We are in the hands of God, first prez. 
And God will use us. This I know. This I know in my soul. We stand on the banks of Jordan and we cast our glance towards the promised land with the saints of all generations and places. We say the words, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Amen and amen. <laughs>